0: though our girls are well taken care of, there are times when they worry that we're going to deprive them of something. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Let me give you an example. I'm normally the first one up in the morning, and I, I normally have breakfast laid out for them when they get up, so they've got a rough life, don't they? But every now and again, they'll get up a little bit earlier than normal, and their breakfast won't be made yet, and they'll begin to panic. They're little creatures of habit, and uh, when, when, when they get up and breakfast is not sitting out, they'll be, they, they start to get very worried about whether or not they're going to have breakfast. And they'll begin to ask me questions like, Dad, what about Breakfast. Did you forget about breakfast? Are are we not going to have breakfast? And sometimes I'll just reassure them that breakfast is on the way, but other times I try and reason with them. Many of you know what this is like, right? Trying to reason with a three-year-old and a six-year-old. But at times I will. And the way I'll reason with them is by pointing them to the past. And I'll say something like this. I will say... In your few short years, you've been alive. Has there ever been a time when mommy and daddy have not fed you? I did this this morning with Edie. I said, have we ever withheld food from you? And of course, they'll say no. And then I'll tell them, if that's the case, if we have fed you day after day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, without fail, what makes you think today will be any different? Again, any of you parents ever said this or something like this? Yeah. At times, to keep our kids from worrying in the present, we will call them back to the past. We'll remind them of the past, right? We'll say, think about all the times mom and dad have cared for you. Is today any different? We do that. At times, Edie will get all worried that we're going to leave her. She'll be like, dad, don't leave. I'm not ready. And I'll just sit her down and go, Edie, have we ever left you? We just ever left the house, said, we'll see you in a couple hours. No. So we, we, we remind them of the past so that they will not worry in the present. Well, guess what? There are times, believers, when we get all worked up over something and we, we, we question God about this, that, or the other. There are times when we feel as if God is depriving us of something that would be good for us. And during these times, it's good for us to be reminded of the work that he has done for us in the past and for his people in the past. It's good for us to hear stories of God's continued love and faithfulness toward those whom he loves so that we would not worry but trust him in the present. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136, we are continuing our sermon series this morning through Psalms. And in this series, we've been saying that though this book, the the book of Psalms, is classified as poetry, it can be broken down even more than that, right? Yeah, we've learned that within the book of Psalms are various kinds and types of Psalms. And we've looked at many of these already. So far, we've looked at wisdom psalms, praise psalms, psalms of lament, and psalms of thanksgiving. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at a different type of psalm. We're going to be looking at a psalm of remembrance. And in this type of psalm, the psalmist is calling for the reader to do what? What do you think? Psalm of remembrance. Remember, Remember, that's right calling for his audience to remember in these psalms the psalmist is calling for the reader to remember what God has done in the past so that we the reader will have confidence in him in the present like I said earlier at times we can be just like our kiddos can't we Though God has provided for us time and time again, day after day, day in and day out, without fail, we have a tendency to forget what he has done for us and then question his faithfulness and doubt his goodness. That's why it's so important that we look to and study these types of psalms because in these types of psalms, psalms of remembrance, the psalmist reminds us of God's goodness and his faithfulness from the past so that we will have confidence in the present. So let's dig in here. Let's look at Psalm 136. And notice here, just like with the psalm of praise, this psalm of remembrance begins with a call to praise. Look at verse 1. The psalmist says this, Give thanks to the Lord, verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods, verse 3. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. The psalmist here is calling for his audience to worship the Lord. He's calling for those who who are hearing this psalm to give thanks to the Lord. And we talked about a moment ago, Bill shared with you, that this psalm, because of the repeat here, it shows us this was read in, in, in a congregation of people, amongst the congregation, and they were to repeat when this psalm was read after he repeated the first line like we just did. The, the, the audience would repeat, His love endures forever. So that's why the repeat is there. It's meant to be read like this, in, a, in, a, in and amongst a congregation of God's people. Look at verse 4. Psalmist once again calls for us to give thanks to him who alone does great wonders. So here in verse 4, coupled with this call to praise is another reason for praise. He's been giving a reason for praise because his love endures forever. And here he gives another reason we are to praise the Lord. He says, give praise, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he alone does great wonders. His point here is that God is to be looked to, he's to be trusted and to be worshipped Because he alone has done great things. And for the rest of this psalm, the psalmist reminds us of what great things God has done for us, his people. First, he calls for us to remember that God is our creator. The first great thing that the psalmist tells us God does here is he creates. And he's calling for us to remember that. Remember God as creator. Look at verse 5. To him who by understanding made the heavens. In the NASB, I like the way they put it. It says, to him who made the heavens with skill. I like that. God is skilled. Psalmist here is reminding us of the God of creation. He's reminding us of the fact that God is our creator. He's saying, remember God as creator. Remember the fact that he made the heavens with skill. Look at verse 6. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. God is the one who has spread out the earth. He is the one who has separated land from water. God is the one who raised the land up above the water so the waters would not flow over it so that we would have a place to live. The psalmist here is pointing this out for us. He's saying God raised up the land for us. To make a place for us. He did this for us. Look at verse 7. To him who made the great lights. Now what are these great lights? Well he tells us in verses 8 and 9. The sun to rule the day. And the moon and the stars to rule by night. Think about how massive and majestic and how awesome these great lights are. That the psalmist talks about here in this passage. Think about the sun that rules the day and the moon and the stars that rule the night. And then think about this. Think about the fact that God created them. He spoke them into existence without any effort at all. He spoke them into being. He put them in their place. Just as He separated the land from the waters, God put these great lights into place for us he did now think about these great lights for a minute think about how necessary they are without the Sun we we wouldn't have life would we we wouldn't there'd be no energy no warmth no vegetation therefore there'd be no life on our planet the moon is also necessary Scientists have learned from careful study that the moon orchestrates the tides here on earth, keeps them in check, dictates the length of our days and the rhythm of our seasons, and also keeps our our planet steady and stable. So we're in need of these great lights, aren't we? And the psalmist is calling for us, the reader, to remember that God has created them and he's put them in place for us. Folks, God has created this world for us. He has created everything with us in mind. Have you ever thought about that? He has. We see this in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we have a detailed account of everything God created, and we learn on the sixth day came the apex, uh, the, the, the pinnacle of God's creation, us. On the sixth day of creation, God created man and then he created woman from man. And we learn in verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1 that that both of them, male and female, man and woman, are created in his image. We learn here that of everything God created, mankind is the only thing in all creation said to be created in God's image image we are his image bearers more like God than anything else in all of creation so we're very significant in this way because God made us that way and we also learn that the rest of creation was created for us God has no needs does he but we have all kinds of needs Listen to Genesis 1, 26. God says, And let them, man and woman, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Again. Again. God created all that is with us in mind. This is not too difficult for us to see, is it? I mean, think about the world in which we live. I mean, it's just, it's fashion for us, isn't it? If you were to go into our house and go into each one of the bedrooms, you would be able to tell pretty quickly which room was which. Which room belonged to who? You'd go in one room, you'd see this girly looking bunk bed. You'd see Barbies and... Disney movies, and you would know pretty quickly that's Ava and Edie's room. Then you go into another room, and you would see a baby bed and a changing table, and you know that's Little Joy's here who's sacked out. Daddy's putting her to sleep. Thanks. You can thank me later, Mom. Uh, and if you went into our room, you'd notice that pretty quickly it's our room, right? It's very obvious which room is which, because each Room has been fashioned for the person living in it. Well, guess what? That's what God did when he created this world. He shaped it. He designed it. He fashioned it for us to live in it. And again, this is not too difficult for us to see, right? Notice one key example the psalmist gives all the way down in verse 25 of Psalm 136. He says, he who gives food to all flesh, God provides food for us, doesn't he? Think about this. Just like a car needs fuel to keep going, our body needs fuel, and food is our fuel, right? And we have fuel all around us for our bodies. What what if we didn't? What if the food that we needed for survival was on another planet? Now, that sounds strange, but think about that. We wouldn't be able to survive, would we? What, what What if it was on the bottom of the ocean floor? That'd make things difficult, wouldn't it? But instead it's all around us. We can grow it, we can buy it, we can catch it, we can kill it. We have food all around us and that's by God's grace and by his design. So the psalmist is calling our attention to this here. He's calling our attention to creation. He's reminding us of all the ways that God has has cared for us and all the ways he is concerned with us. Jesus also did this, did he not? During his earthly ministry, he told his followers to look to creation, to be reminded of God's constant care and concern for his people. Look at Matthew 6, 25 through 27 up on the screen. Look what Jesus says here. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Then he says, are are you not more valuable than the birds? He says, if God provides for the birds, how much more so is he going to provide for us? I mean, birds are just birds. We're his image bearers. Jesus says all that to make the point that we're not to worry, but we're to trust in the God of creation who is our provider, who has given us all we need who has created all that is with us in mind. God has created and fashioned this world for us. Though he provides for the birds of the air, And the fish of the sea, in every living thing, we are His image bearers, folks. We are the pinnacle of His creation. He has created all that is with us in mind. Therefore, listen, folks, we should not be consumed with worry, but should trust in and look to God to provide for us. You know what we say when we worry? We say one of two things. When we worry, we either say we don't really truly believe god is good or we don't truly believe he's in control one of those two things when we worry either he's not good we doubt that when we worry or we're saying we don't really believe he's in control and knows what he's doing so jesus here in matthew 6 and the psalmist in psalm 136 is calling for us to remember to think upon, to consider the God of creation and the fact that he is good and in control and has created all that is with us in mind so that we would not worry but trust in him. Maybe you're here this morning and the circumstances of this world are, are weighing heavy upon you. You've been consumed with worry about this, that, or the other. Maybe, may, maybe you're questioning God on some things that are going on in your life right here, right now, this morning. You don't understand why things are going the way they're going. And, and it, it, you know, you feel deep down, if you're honest with yourself, that God is depriving you of something that's, that's best for you. If this is you this morning, I urge you, like the psalmist does here, to look back to the God of creation, to the God who created all that is. And remember, he's created all that is with you in mind. Think to the God who has fashioned this world for you and for me and know that he is good and in control and can be trusted and trust that he will not hold withhold anything that is that is profitable for you. So this is the first... Great work of God that we're to be reminded of when we're tempted to question him and doubt whether or not what he's doing is best for us. When we're tempted to do this, when we're consumed with worry and doubt, we're to remember God as creator. There's a second thing here. The psalmist says not only are we, we, are not only are we to remember God as creator, we're also to remember him as redeemer. Remember him as creator, remember him as redeemer. Look at verses 10 through 12. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Now what particular act of redemption is the psalmist reminding us of here? What do you think? Yeah, the exodus, right? Y'all remember this story, right? Right? Remember, God's people are are enslaved in Egypt, and God wants them freed, so he calls for Pharaoh to release his people, and when Pharaoh refuses, God starts sending plagues on Egypt. And after the 10th one, Pharaoh finally realizes God means business, and he lets God's people go. And you remember what the 10th plague was, right? It was death. Death to the firstborn in Egypt. And remember, God gave his people, the Israelites, a chance to be spared from this horrible plague by killing a lamb and taking the blood from the lamb and spreading it over the doorpost of their home. God said that if they would do that, he would pass their household over. But those who did not, they experienced death in Egypt, a loss of their firstborn, and that's exactly what happened, right? And that plague was enough For Pharaoh to let God's people go and that's what the psalmist is referring to here he's calling for God's people to remember when God delivered his people from bondage by striking down the firstborn in Egypt he says God brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm he's reminding them that that He's reminding them here of this work of of redemption and he's reminding them that this was all God. This was all God's doing. He is the one who brought these terrible plagues in Egypt and he's the one who delivered his people out from bondage. Let's keep reading, verse 13. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew pharaoh and his host in the red sea so back to the story remember god led his people out of egypt and though god pounded pharaoh into submission shortly after god's people are released pharaoh has a change of heart once again doesn't he and he decides to pursue this jewish people and He pursues them down to the Red Sea and the Jewish people get pinned between this pursuing Egyptian army and the Red Sea and God does an incredible work, doesn't he? He parts the Red Sea and he allows his people to pass through the midst of it on dry ground. It's incredible work of redemption, isn't it? And not only that, remember, after God's people passed through, Pharaoh's men went into the midst of the sea, and God closed the sea back over them and drowned this pursuing Egyptian army. He redeemed them. He brought them out. He led them out of Egyptian bondage through the Red Sea. But he didn't just leave them there after that, did he? To fend for themselves. No, he continued to lead them. Look at verse 16 to him who led his people through the wilderness. God was with them every step of the way, even when his people wanted to leave him and return to Egypt, which they did many times. God led them, he fed them, and he protected them. So the psalmist here is, is reminding his audience and us, the reader, of God's past act of redemption and about how he led his people out of Egypt through the sea into the wilderness and toward the promised land. Look at verses 17 through 22. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage to Israel, his servant. The psalmist here reminds us Not only did God bring His people out of Egypt, not only did He lead them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, but He leads them into the Promised Land. And this land was occupied, wasn't it? There were people in this land. So God led His people into the land to go to war to take it. Some of you might think, well, that's not fair. You know, they were there first. Well, it's God's land, right? It's not theirs. God's, he can give it to whomever he chooses, and he chose to give it to his people, the Israelites. So God brings the, 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 his, his people out of bondage and into the promised land. And of course, the opposing kings and nations, they don't just lay down and go quietly away in the night, do they? They fight. But though that's the case, who is ultimately victorious? God's people. Why? Was it because they were so powerful? Was it because they were raised from a young age to be these great warriors in battle? No. Remember, their parents and grandparents were slaves. They had spent years in the wilderness just roaming around aimlessly and were just a ragtag group of poorly fed foreigners. Yet, they struck down these mighty nations. How? God. God did it. God was with them. God fought for them. God brought them the victory. And the psalmist here is reminding us, the readers, of this here. In Psalm 136, he's reminding us of this great work of redemption. He's saying, remember the God who delivered his people from Egyptian bondage and led them into the land he promised them. Remember that when you're tempted to doubt and question God. Verses 23 through 24, we have a great summary of this chapter here. Look at what the psalmist says. He says, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. Once again, Psalmist is reminding his audience of the fact that God remembered his people when they were down and out, when they were enslaved, and he rescued and redeemed them, and there is just this obvious and implied application to be made here by us, the reader, and it's this. If God did that for them, Won't he do the same for us? Psalmist is saying, with this psalm, he's saying the next time you just become consumed with worry, you begin to question God about his work in the world and his work in your life, look to the exodus. Look to God's past acts of redemption and remember that He who worked for His people back in Egypt and led them through the wilderness and into the land of promise is the same God you serve today. And He loves and cares for you the same as He did for them. He does. Therefore, the psalmist is saying here, we are to remain confident in Him. We're to keep looking to him, keep trusting in him, and keep following him regardless, because he loves us the same. That's the message. Psalm 136. Well, the psalm ends here with one more final call to praise, and it's this look at it in verse 26 Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. We've come full circle, haven't we? Once again, this psalm begins and ends with praise, and that's fitting here, isn't it? You know, at this time, when people were looking back at God's past acts of redemption, this event, the exodus, is what people looked to. This was the event that people used, that the psalmist used, to demonstrate that God is a faithful and redeeming God, But as I've said time and time again in here already in this series, it's very important when we're studying in the Old Testament, and especially when we're reading through the Psalms like this one here, we read it with New Testament eyes. And you know what? Today, we can look back to an event even more significant than this one, can't we? We can. Today... We have even more of a reason to trust in God and have confidence in Him as our Redeemer because of the work that He accomplished for us in and through His Son at the cross. Believers today, we know that God is committed to this thing, don't we? We know that God is committed to redemption by looking back to the death of, Burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. If you ever question whether or not God is committed to redemption, look no further than the cross. Talked about this a few sermons ago, but you know, at the cross, we see God is committed to doing whatever it takes to redeem us. Folks, do you realize what He's done for you? Do you realize it? He sent his son for us. And his son came willingly. His son left the riches of heaven and became one of us. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, what a step down that was for him. Not only did he become one of us, he took on the form of a lowly servant. He was despised and rejected by men, like Isaiah says. The purest of all. To ever live was betrayed, denied, tried, beaten, mocked, and hung between criminals on a shameful cross for us. He paid the ultimate price for us, death, physically, but more importantly, spiritually for us so that we might not have to. This is all a part of God's plan so that he could redeem us. Maybe you're here this morning and you're convinced for the first time this morning that you have yet to experience this redemption through Christ that I've been talking about. But you would like to. Maybe you're here and God is showing you for the first time your sinfulness and your need of salvation. Maybe you're here and you can honestly say that you want to have a hope that transcends your circumstances. You want to have a confidence that doesn't waver through the toughest of trials and darkest of storms. If this is you, I urge you this morning, if you have not, look no further than Christ. Turn to Him. Turn away from your sin turn to Him, place your faith and trust in Him and Him alone. Give your life over to Him and be saved. Let's pray.